the goodness of the Lord. I want that to be something that all of us can have. And that by the time we're done, our soul will even be more well, like we'll be better. I really want to see everybody blessed. And I have something that I want to share. You know, we're starting in, in to make this journey together. We've got this new series we're unveiling. I didn't know it was going to be quite this way, but we're going to start this series called engage. And it has to do with putting our faith into action. And maybe in some way it's more meaningful than ever because of what we're all having to walk through. If you recall a few weeks back and we went, you know, into Easter and then just, you know, kind of sat with it for a while, the idea of exhale, of sharing the goodness and the grace of Jesus, of talking about the Lord, of being a people who have gracious words, that we're good news people, that we share the message of Christ, that we're, we're not um, reluctant to do so. And we sat with Jesus and the woman at the well, and we watched how the Lord modeled what it means to help people, how to speak words of healing and life. And so that, that's been part of what we've been wanting to think about and, and consider doing in significant ways, sharing the good news of Jesus, sending out messages and words and prayers, but there's also another side to our faith. We are to be a people, not only of good words, but we're also to be a people of good works. I mean, it was Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of us remember Matthew 5, 16, where he said, you know, let your light so shine before men, before people, that they may see your good works and glorify, honor your father who is in heaven, that they may see the goodness of your life, the qualitative expression of faith that shows up in tangible ways in my name and that in so doing people would be drawn to me because of what you are giving away on my behalf. I mean, it's a reminder that we to be a people of not only good words, but also of good works. And that is really, I think a tremendous part of so water reap. I mean, it needs to show up in the everydayness of our lives and the way we treat people and the way we love people and the way we ultimately will return or to work or are working and the way in which we are loving and, and blessing that this is something that needs to be more than just words. Words are huge. Words are important. Words have great meaning. The message of Christ is a product of words, right? It's spoken. Um, but it needs to also be backed up in the way we live and love. And so goodness matters. It does. And engagement matters. And so, you know, what we're really talking about is following the example of Jesus, because Jesus didn't just talk about, um, what love was. He lived out what love was and having loved them. The scripture says he loved them to the end. And so that's what we're supposed to do as well. Following his example love God, love people, speak good words, do good works. Both are needed. It's not one to the exclusion of the other. Um, and yet sometimes the truth is before we can give away our faith and sometimes before we even can demonstrate our faith, there are things that, that God needs to heal up inside of us. And so sometimes before we can put our faith into play, we have to let him put us back together. And so in a way 
That's what this message is about. It's about letting the Lord help, help us from the inside out the conviction that there's a connection between what's going on inside of us and inside of our mind, inside of our heart, right? A conviction that, that what's going on inside of us is going to affect, I think, how we express that outwardly to others. And so with that in mind, I want to go to this, um, this wonderful, amazing passage of scripture in John 21. It's, it's one of my, honestly, it's, I know I say it. I have, I have that. Not every passage is my favorite passage, but I have a few that stand out. And this is one of them, partly because I just love, I love Simon Peter. I love the way the Bible reveals this man. I love his earnestness, his passion. I love his sincerity, his authenticity. I love the genuineness of who he is and his, yes, even his impetuous side. I love the fact that the Bible gives us a full picture of him. That it's not a kind of one-dimensional person, but he, he is revealed to us with both strengths and weaknesses, and perhaps it's out of his flaws that I, I find myself most resonating as a follower of Christ. And so I want to set the scene for what we're about to see, because what we're looking at essentially is his restoration. And the words that Jesus gave Peter are really words that I, th I think he wants to give us at this time as well. Now we'll, we'll get into that, but I want to set the scene. It's the other side of the resurrection. And soon we know that Jesus would ascend. He said he was going to leave them. He would send the comforter, his spirit. But during this remarkable period, that 40 day period between the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus would appear and it wasn't frequent and he was the same but yet things were different and it was kind of mysterious and the disciples weren't exactly sure when he would come and everything was unclear. How to proceed was unclear. I mean, it's true. The crucifixion and the horror of it had been overwhelmed by the victory of the resurrection, just as he said it would be, but it wasn't really clear what was going to happen how they were supposed to be living their lives and how things were going to play themselves out. And of course, some of them, Peter in particular, uh, were not doing well. Peter was very broken. And um, we're going to talk about how the Lord heals him. But let's just jump into this, this amazing passage in John 21. And you just follow along with me. We'll go through it. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It's the Sea of Galilee. That's a beautiful place, you know. I've been there a few times now. And uh, I've always been struck by the, the pastels, the colors um, around the Sea of Galilee. It's really the Lake of Gennesaret, right? It's, it's a lake. The waters, uh, the gentleness, but yet movement. The surroundings, the, the shades. The, the, the purples and the pinks and the blues and the beige and the brown. You get what I'm saying? It's a, in the morning time, in the dusk time, those are the colors that dominate. A little bit of orange and yellow in there as well. It's just a beautiful palette experientially. And in your mind's eye, it's worth letting it sit. And so anyway, Jesus, we're told, reveals himself. And this is the way he did it. 
verse 1, jumping into verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, who was called the twin, the one who would also be known down the years as Doughty Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two others of his disciples. They were all together. That's good. Um, they didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. They had lived life together. They had walked through uh, the trauma of the crucifixion together. They had experienced the victory of the resurrection together. So they were all together. But again, what's next? There wasn't a clear sense of what they were supposed to be doing. And finally, Peter, in classic, you know, a classic Peter expression in his restlessness. So even though he's a broken and beaten man at a certain level, there's a restlessness in him and he exerts himself and he says, you know what? I can't take this anymore. I want to go fishing. I'm going fishing. Now that wasn't meant as a muse or as a way of just recreating to spend some free time. Like, I'm, you know what? I'm going to go have some fun and fish. That, that wasn't what he, fishing had been his occupation. It had been many of their occupations. And Peter was essentially saying, I just can't sit here and do nothing. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going to go fish. I got to make some money. I, I, I'm going fishing. Now, maybe part of him would, would resonate also with the feeling of being alive on those waters. And maybe fishing for Peter was more than just work. It was something he knew and understood and enjoyed. The smell of it, the waters, the, the whole experience of it. Maybe he needed to get his mind off of what had been, and this seemed as good to make as good a sense as any. So they all, but they all said to him when he says, I'm going fishing, I just can't stay here. And they said to him, we're going to go with you. And they went out and they got in the boat, but that, but that night, and we're told they fished through the night and through the morning darkness and they caught nothing <laughs> that had happened before at an earlier period on that, on that day when Jesus called them. They probably never forgot that day either. They were out there. They had caught nothing. And just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples, they didn't know it was Jesus, we're told. In verse 5, Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. Maybe they thought that that was someone who was attempting to, to buy some fish for the market and wanted to know if they had a catch to sell. But they said, no, we don't have anything. Right? He said to them, cast your, your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. They're out there. And so they cast it out. Maybe they thought, oh, he can see something from a distance. Maybe he sees a little glimmer. Who knows? But they cast it out. And, and all of a sudden, the fish just started just filling those nets. And, and, and they weren't even able uh, to, to haul it in. It was so many fish because of the quantity of fish. Verse 7, it says that the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, that's the Lord. Right now, who is the disciple? Who, John always refers to himself in the third person. He never says John. He always says the disciple whom Jesus loved. I love the fact that he makes that designation. That's great. It is true, but I don't know. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that's the Lord. And John recognized him. And I love the fact that he told Peter. Peter got so excited. It says that he, when he heard it was the Lord, he put out his arm on his, his outer garment for he had been stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Like he just wrapped himself up 
and he just leaped into the waters and started swimming to shore, right? And he's swimming as fast as he can. It's the master. It's Jesus, right? And the other disciples were told they came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land. They were actually about 100 yards off. And when they got on the land, they saw uh, to their surprise and, and to their delight, I might add, because they had all been working so hard. Fishing is hard work. Casting those nets, pulling it in. Casting those nets, pulling it in. Clean. I mean, it is a lot of work moving that boat around uh, and they were hungry and it was morning and there was bread and fish were told, you know, Jesus, when they saw him, they saw a charcoal fire in place and there were fish laid out on it and bread. I mean, you can almost smell it, right? The crackling of the fish, right? The bread browning. Maybe it was a, a, a rock's that they were being cooked on, or maybe there was some type of a, of a, you know, something that had been placed over the charcoal that allowed them to cook in some way, but they were cooking. The fish were, and, ah, oh, it smells so good. And, and it says that, uh, Jesus said to them, Hey, bring some of those fish that you just caught, bring them over here. I'll cook them up. And so, you know, Simon, we're told, Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled that net ashore and it was full of large fish. We're told in one of the, those unusual things the Bible does every now and then, we're told specifically, look at that verse 11. It says there were 153 of them. Not a, not a big, not a large quantity, not, not about a hundred, 153. You know, think about that. Somebody counted that. It's amazing, actually, that the Bible notes these things from time to time. I, it always gets me. Not 150, 153 fish. And although there were so many, we're told the net wasn't torn. And then Jesus said, hey, come on, let's have breakfast together. And nobody really said, Lord, what are you doing here? Is this you? Why are you here? You know, nobody, nobody, nobody said it. They knew it was the Lord. They could recognize him. That's what we're being told. Jesus came, he took the bread and it was a kind of a different kind of communion. If I can say that he took the bread and he, he put the fish on it and he gave it to them. And I imagine him handing the bread and, and some of the fish together. Have this, All right? That was very good. And it says, this is, by the way, the 14th verse, this was now the third time that Jesus actually had revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And yet there was one person that Jesus cared about who was still, because I'm sure there were very happy faces and it was a wonderful moment. And yet there was one man in the group who, though initially had been overwhelmed with excitement to see Jesus as as things settled and as everyone was enjoying their meal and the small talk came to some conclusion. There was one man, if you've seen it in the group who was not doing well for Peter, Simon, Peter was still a very broken and wounded man. Uh, the one who had bragged that he would never deny the Lord, uh, had failed miserably. 
think some of us remember that on that night of Jesus's betrayal after Judas had departed, they were making their way to the, to the Mount of Olives and to the garden when Jesus would pray. But along the way, Jesus had said to them, uh, all of you, by the way, are going to be offended of me. You're going to be scattered. You're going to stumble over me. Um, you're going to leave me. All of you. I, I, I want you to know that I know that. And it was a shocking thing for them to hear. And, and Jesus didn't say it with anything other than, I, I, I would assume, a sadness in his heart in, in a certain way. But yet, it was an honest word. And, and when Peter heard it, some of us recall what his reaction was. His reaction was, I don't know. That's not happening. I'm not denying. No, no, I'm not denying you. That's, I know that for sure. There is no way. If you think I'm a, there, that is not going, you do not know me. <laughs> if you think I'm leaving you, I'm not stuck. I'm not, that's not happening. Now, then Peter says, now, I can't speak for the rest of them. Look, even if all of these guys, he's looking at his brothers, even if all of them deny you, I'm going to tell you one thing right now and let everybody hear it. I don't care what they do. I don't deny you. That's not who I am. I will, I, I will die with you. I will die for you. I will not leave you. If there's anybody you can count on, you can count on me. I am loyal to the core. No, if all of them fall away, I will not. I will not. I would never will. I will never, I will never deny. I will never, I will never leave you. And that's of course, when Jesus said, no, no, Peter, no. Truly, I tell you that, I tell you this, that, that this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. I would say it this way, that Jesus says, no, Peter, before the rooster crows twice on this night, you will deny me thrice. You will break with me. And you will leave me and you will deny me and you will have nothing to do with me. I am telling you this. No, no. Even if I have to die with you, I will never, you can, I will never deny you. And yet he did. Now it's true that in the garden, when they came for Jesus, and this is important to remember, when they came for Jesus, in that moment, Peter, he, he was willing to fight. And in that moment, I do believe he was willing to die for the Lord. I mean, he pulled that sword out and he swung it. He hit a man named Malchus on the side of the head, sliced his ear. It was one of those moments where Jesus says, what are you doing? Stop, put the sword away those who 
live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Things are as they should be. Put the sword away. And in that moment, with all the adrenaline flowing through Simon, as they took Jesus away, everybody kind of didn't know what to do later on. Peter finds his way back. I know a lot of us remember that and you read about the account and how he gets challenged and ultimately he's, he's trying to warm his hands, um, you know, around the fire. He doesn't want anybody to know he's incognito. He, he doesn't want to be associated with Jesus. And someone says, Hey, aren't you right? Aren't you a, a girl? I mean, aren't you one of those followers of the, the Nazarene? Aren't you one of his disciples? No, I don't, I don't know the man again. Uh, I don't know him. I don't know. Whether he, finally on the third time, right? And the, everything hits at once. Peter says, I don't know the man. And he starts swearing. And at that very moment, everything hits, right? We're told that Jesus is being led through the courtyard and he looks at Peter, the rooster crows. Peter is shocked in his denial. Everything is boom, 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 all of a sudden. And, and, and then it all unravels and he flees. And, and then Jesus is taken and he's just literally, I mean, the, the cross was so bad. And Peter's guilt and I think when Jesus looked at him, and again, we, all we know is their eyes. I think what he says, I told you, I know you. I know you. Right. It broke him. It broke him. Because he didn't just fail. He, the man who prided himself on his loyalty, had, had emphatically broken with Jesus. His man, he. He, it was a spectacular, devastating failure. And by the time it was over, Peter was a broken man. And it must have been a bitter pill, so hard to move forward because of it. Because from in the end, uh, he had not proven to be the man he thought he was, nor that the others, his friends and brothers thought he was. He, and, and, and again, um, I point out this fact that even after the scriptures tell us that Jesus, when he rose, even after the horror of the cross had been overwhelmed by the incredible joy of the resurrection, which we've just celebrated, you know, not too long ago at Easter, it didn't change in Peter's mind, the reality that he personally considered himself a failure for having denied the Lord, you know, I, I think that when Peter saw himself, he saw himself as damaged goods. Yeah, damaged goods. And it's the shame, the the guilt of it. It was a heavy load. It was it was hard to bear. And despite Peter's good intentions, despite the fact that he had been, think about this. Despite the fact that he had been specifically alerted by the Lord, he had not been able to stand. I mean, Jesus told him, this is what's going to happen. But in the moment of crisis, he had failed. And so Peter, the Peter that's sitting there around the fire with now a full stomach, I suppose, uh, 
is happy to see Jesus. And they've all been laughing, I suspect, but there's silence in the air. And on the inside, he's a broken man. He's torn up. He's torn up. And uh, perhaps some of us can relate to Peter. I was thinking about it at this time. You say, what are you talking about? I'm not necessarily suggesting that we can relate to him in the sense that we've denied the Lord. Uh, but the part about feeling broken on the inside a little bit, that part. And I think just the way I've been interacting with a lot of you in this community and processing through and everything that's been going on in your lives and trying to help encourage and strengthen and just seeing all the different prayers that are taking place and getting feedback around the groups and all of our community engagement and just trying to really stay connected to the church and how many of us are experiencing these things together that we've had to walk through with the whole season that none of us wanted the shelter in place, the pandemic, all this, all of this, how to transition back everything. And, um, I think the truth is that some of us aren't doing well. Some of us are hurting. Yeah, we're hurting. And maybe, maybe some of us feel beaten down a little bit beaten down by the realities we have had to face for these, uh, past weeks. Some of us have had to battle with our thoughts and we've struggled with real anxiety and depression and we have fear and reluctance about even how to potentially enter back in and, and what that all looks like. And just, we're having a hard time shaking it. And maybe if it's not something that's going on inside of, cause remember a lot of us had issues that we were already dealing with prior to this issue. And maybe we have parallel simultaneous issues. They could be health related, relational stuff that we were already working through. Some of us were under financial duress before this even hit. The point being is that a lot of us have had things that would, were making us anxious already. And then all of this on top of that, it just really has been overwhelming. And even though we love the Lord and we know the Lord is real and we know he's alive and he's present, it, 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 it's still, there's a part of us that feels broken a little bit on the inside or we very alarmed and, and we're having a hard time or someone we care about is having a hard time. And that means that we're also having a hard time because they're having a hard time. And so it's just, it's just, uh, it's not an easy space for us. And perhaps it would be helpful for us in our mind's eye to Imagine ourselves this morning, if we could, with Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee with bread and fish upon the fire, sitting in the middle of a conversation and listening to these words. Look at verse 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, and I'm imagining there was a bit of a silence and a calm in the conversation. It says that Jesus broke the silence and he said, Simon Peter, he said to him, Simon, Simon, son of John, do 
you love me more than these. Now, again, I imagine the rest of the disciples who are there are watching this. It's like they heard, they listen to Jesus and then they're watching Peter. And I imagine Peter putting his head down. Now, you got to remember, historically, like what, I'll ask you this question. Do you love me more than these? What do you think he's referring to? What are the these? Now, a minor thought would be that these represented the nets and the fish and his previous occupation. And so the Lord was trying to say, are you going back to what you were? That's certainly one legitimate way of looking at it. But I think the more accurate perspective of understanding what Jesus is getting at and what is generally the more commonly held perspective or understanding is that when Jesus said this, he looked at the rest of the group. Because remember, what had Peter said? I'm not denying you, though they all might. I won't. That's not who I am. Are you saying now that you love me more than these? <laughs> the, word, the word that Jesus uses, by the way, it's interesting, another nuance in this passage, because the question is going to be asked three times. Do you love me? The first two times Jesus uses, because in the Greek, there are multiple words that are translated in English as love. The word that's used in the Greek and in the manuscripts, the New Testament manuscripts in the Greek is the word agapeo or agape, speaking of agape love. It's the most sacrificial, devoted love. It's the love that speaks of Jesus, that, that love, the utterly devoted, like the deepest, most meaningful love, uh, committed love, sacrificial love. Uh, that, that's the word Jesus uses here. Do you love me that way? Do you love me more than these? And you can see Peter, he, he hesitates. He dare not climb there. He dare not climb there. Uh, he says, yes, Lord, I, I, you know, nothing of these, nothing of them, nothing. You, you know, I love you. You know, I love, you know, and maybe he puts his head down. You know, I love you, Lord. But the word that Peter uses, it's the Greek word phileo. It means uh, I care for you deeply. I have affection for you. Uh, he, he won't match Jesus. No, not after what had happened. He, he will say, I love you. I, I, I care for you, but. Ah, you have my affection. You do. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. And he said to him and a second time. Now, I don't know. I, we don't know what was the gap between the first, second, and third time. Sometimes you read it and you go, oh, it's just one after the other. Jesus says, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter says, you know, I love you. Jesus says, then again, Simon Peter, you know, son of John, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Right? Again. Or was there a gap? 
Did the words linger? Was there a space when all you could hear was the fire and the waves lapping on the shore and maybe a breeze, but nothing more. And then out of that silence again, while they're all thinking comes the second question. Do you Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? This time it was just, do you love me? Right? <laughs> and again, the word Jesus uses is, do you love me? Does you all me? Do you love me with a love that is deep and devoted and sacrificial? <laughs> and he said to him, Lord, I, I, you know, I love you again. He uses the word phileo. You know, I care for you. You know, I, I do. I, I, I love you. I, I, but all the bravado is gone. It's gone. It's gone. And, and Jesus said to him that I need you to tend my sheep. I do. And we're told verse 17 that he said to him the third time, Simon. And again, was there space? Was there, I don't know, but Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time. Now it's interesting because Jesus drops down into Peter's word for love. He uses the word phileo and he basically, and I love the fact the Lord meets us where we are. I can't get there. Lord, if you can't get there, he'll meet you where you are. How good is that? Lord, I don't have enough faith. I'll get there with you. I'll come to where you are. Lord, I, 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 I help. I don't know. I'm not doing well. I'll meet you where you are. Peter says, I, I, I care deeply for Jesus. Jesus says, do you care deeply for me, Simon? All right. Do you love me as a friend? Lord, you know, I, and I love this. Peter, I'm sad. Lord, he says he was grieved because he said to him the third time. And I don't think it was a coincidence. Three times the question of love, three times the, he had denied Jesus. It was the conversation everybody knew had to happen. It was the conversation of restoration and yet it grieved Peter and Jesus had to get down to that level and that he would say it for the third time. Do you love me? What are you doing? Lord, what are you doing that to me? Why? 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 why you know, I love you. Why don't do that to me. Why, you know, I love you, right? That's, that's what's going on here. And, uh, that's when Jesus said to him, Lord, you know, every, I mean, Peter says to him, Lord, you know, everything and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then I need you to feed my sheep. I do. And I need you to shepherd my sheep. I need you to feed my sheep. I need you to tend to, uh, people on my behalf. I need you to strengthen your brethren. That's what I need you to do. If you say you love me, then let it show up in the way in which you love the people I've, I've given you. And I need you to care for that's, that's what I need you to do. Right. And then Jesus right on the back of that says, truly, I tell you this, I tell you one more thing, Simon, and I say it in front of all of you. I say to you that when you were young, yes, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. That is, you were a self-directed, self-willed, very independent man. That is what you were. But when you are old, look at it. 
you will, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you would not want to go. Verse 19, the first part of it says this, he said to, to show what, by what kind of death he was to glorify God, just to let Peter, Peter, just to let you know what you couldn't do, you will do. <laughs> you will do it for me. I need you to know that. Think about that. There will be a time. Now it will be many years from now because you will be an older man, but there will be a day when you will surrender your life for me. What you could not do, you will do. You will be a loyal, selfless servant of the kingdom to the end. Listen to me. Look at me. That's what he's saying. You are going to finish strong. Remember, remember, I told you, I told you, you would fail. That you did not have it. That there was going to be too many things coming at you. Things that you couldn't even understand nor see at a spiritual level. There were things happening. You couldn't understand it. You didn't even know yourself. Remember, I told you, you would fail. You told me you wouldn't, but I knew you would. I knew you would. And you didn't believe me, but you did. Remember, you didn't believe me, but you did. So now I need to tell you, even though I know there's a part of you that doesn't believe what I'm saying, that you don't have it in you, that, I, that you're, you're, you don't have the ability, but I am telling you, the same one who told you at that time you would not be able to do it is telling you now that there will be a day when you will do it. I am telling you that. And just as powerful of a truth as that word was for you days ago, so will it be for you years from now. You are going to stand and you will not fail. And I know that's hard for you to believe, but it is true. And after saying this, he said to him in front of them all. So this is what I need from you. The same word I gave you three years ago on this very place. I say to you, follow me, Simon, Peter, son of John, follow me, travel with me, make this journey with me. We'll go together. That's what we'll do. And you hear P Peter maybe silently say, Lord, I, ca I cannot do it. No, not only can you, you will, as my father has sent me, so I will send you rise up and follow me. That is powerful. And a couple of things for us just sitting here where we are in this time and place. Remember, the Lord will meet us when we need it most. This is a word for some of you and help us to find our way through. Why? Because the Lord longs to nurture us back to health. It's what he does. He helped Peter find his way and he will help us as well. I guess what I'm saying <laughs> is he has bread and fish upon the fire waiting for us. He has a conversation that he wants for us to engage him in. And maybe that's happening right now. Actually, we're having this with the Lord, us and the Lord. And he has words for us that he wants us to embrace. Listen, think, consider what is the word the Lord would have you embrace in this moment. And then remember this, our healing is not just for ourselves. It's for the blessing of others. Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, 
feed my sheep. Peter's healing, remember this, was not just for him, but it was for all his all, all the people that he would affect. It was for all his life. It was, it was down the years. It was for everyone who would be affected by the decisions that Peter would make. And he would make beautiful ones in the years ahead. And in a way, his decisions would affect us as well in this very moment. Everything that Jesus said, you feed my sheep. In a way, he's doing it right now. His very example, this very exchange is feeding our soul right now in this place. And that reminds me of our purpose as a church at such a time as this. It was not a coincidence at the beginning of the year, we started with the vision, sow, water, and reap. And has there ever been a time as marvelous as this to sow, water, and reap? Has there ever been a, a time as, as like this for us? And one of the emerging things that has come out of this particular season that we're in in this very moment is the idea of, isn't God good? So good, so God. So good, so God, right? That's, that's a big part of what we're trying to understand. Let your light show, so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So good, so God. That's what this is all about. Okay. You're loved. You're so loved. And in fact, we have a song to share, just like Peter was loved. We have a song to share with you called um, I Am Loved. And, and someone I love very much is actually going to be um, leading it. My, my oldest daughter, Chloe. Um, so I want, but I want all of us to be blessed in that. And, and oh, and don't forget before we go over to them and then I'll come back around because I want to close this out with the blessing I do. But don't forget that uh, even though we don't have a formal time of giving, like I said, it's impossible. <laughs> There's no way now, not the way we're doing things right now. And, but so many of you have been able to do this and, and I would ask that you continue to do so as faithfully as possible. Continue to give. Obviously there's, you can give through our app, you can give, uh, you know, online, but continue to honor the Lord with your tithes and offers. I'm talking to the core of our church, but anybody who feels compelled to want to honor the Lord and help us continue to do the ministry we're doing as faithfully as possible. I, I need to say this, thank, thank you to so many of you who have not simply shown your love and, and your commitment in your words, but in your deeds. And I know not everyone can do that right now. And for those who can't presently, may the Lord bless and provide according, according to his riches and glory. May the Lord provide for you as the days unfold. I really, we really want to see the Lord create movement and breakthrough. But for those of us who are able, continue to be as faithful as possible. But right now, I just want us to sit in this moment and be utterly blessed. I am loved. Here we go.
what a blessing, right? What a blessing to be loved by God. Uh, you know, as we, uh, as we think about where we're heading into the, the transitions that are in front of us, I just want to rem remind everyone, don't forget the invitation that Jesus made to Simon Peter, follow me. It's the invitation he's making to you and me. Follow me. Follow me. In this time, loved ones, follow Jesus. Follow him. Follow him through our fears, right? Follow him. In this time of uncertainty and transition, follow me, Jesus says. Follow me. Stick with me. Travel with me in word and in deed in sacrificial love into a future that we cannot control undaunted and unafraid in Jesus name on this good day. May the Lord's grace rest upon you and may your mind be filled with great peace. You are not alone. He is with you. The good shepherd is with you. Be blessed this day in Jesus name. I love spending this time with you. Bye guys.